You're listening to Brains On, where we're serious about being curious. Brains On is supported in part by a grant from the National Science Foundation. Ah, I can't find anything to listen to before the next episode of Brains On comes out. That was Tater and the Tots with their latest banger, Fry Me a River. Nah, Al Potato Radio isn't my thing. I keep telling everybody, Pickle Radio is where it's at. Time to dial. If you're caller 10, you and a friend are going to skunk a palooza. We'll have a winner right after we hear from our sponsor, Limburger Cheese. Ew! That station stinks! Are you bored? Us too. And that's the way we like it. We're about to get into our two-hour commercial-free set of recordings of a cardboard box. (sighs) Pretty boring. Oh, yeah. No, that's going to put me right to sleep. Tune in to Tall Things Considered Saturdays at noon, followed by Wait, Wait, Don't Smell Me at 1. Coming up next, it's Dino Edition, the all-dinosaur broadcast. Special guest hosts on today's Dino Edition, Molly Bloom and Eliana from Brains On. Yes, I love this show! This is Dino Edition from Brains On and American Public Media. I'm Molly Bloom in Minneapolis. And I'm Eliana in New York City. Today on the show, what dinosaurs were actually like. And how scientists had figured that out. But first, a look at traffic with Sandin Totten. Molly, the traffic out here today is bonkers. We've got living dinosaurs sitting on tree branches. They're finding worms to eat. They're flying every which way overhead. What's that you say? Living dinosaurs? Has Sandin eaten seven bags of cotton candy again? Well, yes, I have. But I'm right about the living dinosaurs thing. You see, dinosaurs were a big and varied group of animals. We know about hundreds of different dinosaurs, but there were probably many, many, many more that we don't know about. A lot of what we know about them comes from fossils, which are basically bits of dinosaurs that wound up preserved in rock. Many of these fossils are bones, but there are also fossilized dino poop, footprints, skin impression, feathers, cake recipes. Okay, not cake recipes, but the rest of that stuff. And by looking at those feathers and dinosaur bones, scientists came to the startling, amazing conclusion that some dinosaurs evolved into birds. Yes, birds. That means that all birds evolved from the same group of meat-eating dinosaurs that includes Tyrannosaurus rex. So that's why these birds are, in fact, living dinosaurs. Oh, and one's coming this way. Oh, hello, little cutie. You tiny little ancestor of the T-Rex. You couldn't possibly hurt me. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, I don't have any bird seeds. Sorry. Or or worms. Or... Hey, hey, stop. Stop pecking at me. Ow, stop chasing me. Ah, I'm being chased by a living dinosaur. Okay, gotta run. Back to you, Molly. Yikes. Well, thank you, Sandin, for that informative traffic report. You're listening to Dino Edition. Questions for Dino Edition come from Brains On listeners, asking incredible questions for many years running, like... Hello, my name is Liam from Oakville, Ontario, Canada. And my question is, why do we assume dinosaurs are earth tone colors? Because birds descend from dinosaurs... And birds are very colorful. 
An answer to Liam's question will be heard in a minute. You can send your questions to BrainsOn at brainson.org slash contact. You're listening to Dino Edition. I'm Ellie Young. And I'm Molly. If you've ever been to a natural history museum, chances are you've seen a replica of a dinosaur skeleton. There it is, all dug up and shiny, reassembled and propped up on some metal poles. Pretty amazing, right? But you know what's missing? Everything else. No skin, no feathers, no muscles or eyelids. So how do scientists think about what was on the outside of dinosaurs? Sometimes fossils have clues, but other times they don't. In those cases, scientists look at living animals to make educated guesses. We're looking for some of these real live animals to give us a call and tell us what that's like. Let's go to the phones. Our first caller is an elephant. Hello. Hi, yes, I am an elephant. Scientists compare me to sauropod dinosaurs. You know, the the big dinos with the super long necks and tails. They have four legs, eat plants. Yeah. Scientists think sauropods might have been brownish like me because even though we're not very closely related, we live similar lives. We're, We're big vegetarians, plus bright colors make it easier for other animals to eat us. So muted shades probably suit us best. Wow, great point from that elephant. Thanks for calling in. Up next, we have a crocodile. Hi, yeah, can you hear me? Yes, crocodile, you're on the line with Dino Edition. Okay, great. Long-time listener, first-time caller. So I just wanted to say, me and the other crocodiles, we didn't choose to be these dark green or tan colors. We evolved this way over millions of years. Earth tones help us blend in, and you can get a lot more to eat if you blend in well. Also, dinosaurs and crocodiles actually go way back. We have a common ancestor that lived 250 million years ago. It gave rise to both dinosaurs and crocodiles, but that's another story. Wow. Okay, let's take one more caller. A cardinal. Hi. Uh, Yes, I'm a huge fan of the show. Thanks for taking my call. Anyway, yeah, I'm a cardinal. You know, bright red, small beak. I want to say, yes, I am beautifully colored, but it's not all me. Like flamingos, my coloring comes from what I eat. See, the seeds I eat have chemicals called carotenoids that make my bright red coloring. So, for example, meat-eating dinosaurs, they wouldn't have been eating these kinds of chemicals because they couldn't have gotten bright red coloring the same way that I do. Thank you. That was a card. Oh, yeah. Well, one more thing. Scientists say that some dinosaurs had their own versions of bright coloring, colors that didn't depend on their diets. That is so interesting, and I think that's all the time oh, we oh, have. Oh, 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 and bright colors can help you attract mates. Scientists say that's what my bright red feathers do for me. Okay. Thanks for calling in. It's always so oh, great oh, to hear from our thing. audience. Oh, a- Oops. Looks like we <clears throat> lost that call. To sum up those insights... Earth tones might have helped dinosaurs blend in. But it's also true that for some dinosaurs, bright colors could have helped them find mates. More on dino colors in a bit, but Eliana, we've just received a breaking update. Yes, our producers are telling me it's time for the... So we will need your guess. Are you ready, Eliana? Yes, I am. Here it is. (laughs) 
Eliana, do you have a guess? Um, yeah, it sounded like some sort of machine mm-hmm. sucking something up. Um, it sounded like, you know, when they put, like, the mail in the tube and they suck it up. Mm. It, like, where they put it in the thing and they suck it up. It sounded su- similar to that. It's like one of those pneumatic tubes. Yeah. Very good guess. We'll have an update on that in a bit. Stay with us. Special thanks to the idea of time travel. Going anywhere you want in the future or past would be fascinating. And Brains On is making an episode about it. So please send us where you'd want to travel in time. The future, the past, pick any time you like and tell us why at brainson.org slash contact. That's brainson.org slash contact. And extra special thanks to listeners who have sent in their ideas, mystery sounds, and questions. Here's one more we'll be answering at the end of the show. Hello, my name is Bree. I'm from Ottawa, Ontario. And my question is, how do you make clay for pottery? We'll also get an honor roll update of the listeners who've reached out at brainson.org slash contact. That's brainson.org slash contact. Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org slash academy. Talking to your backseat babies about money can be so hard. In fact, you probably don't even know where to start. So that's where the newest version of the Million Bazillion Academy steps in, our email newsletter course. You can start whenever, and you'll get a new lesson each week that you and your kids can complete at your own pace. They'll learn about crypto, the stock market, and so much more. And best of all, it's free. Million Bazillion Academy, making kids smarter about money. Sign up today at marketplace.org slash academy. Questions for Dino Edition come from Brains On listeners. Sending in great questions every day, like... My question is, how do archaeologists know how do dinosaurs look like? That question comes from Enoch. Learn more in just a moment. This is Dino Edition from Brains On and American Public Media. I'm Molly. And I'm Eliana. So we know scientists can look to living animals for clues about what dinosaurs looked like. But there are other clues that could be decoded from fossils. They could even tell us more about their color. Dino Edition reporter David Jaw has the story. Humans have speculated for over a century about what dinosaurs may have looked like. Paintings from the 1800s depicted them as giant leathery lizards, using colors like gray, brown, and dull green. But nowadays... New evidence has totally changed the way we think about dinosaurs. Modern artists aren't afraid to draw dinosaurs in new ways, with bright colors and feathered wings. Purple, yellow, orange, lime green, nothing's off limits anymore. So how do paleontologists figure out what colors dinosaurs actually were? 
I called Jingmei O'Connor to find out. She's an associate curator of fossil reptiles at the Field Museum of Natural History in Chicago. So you have melanosome-based colorations. Basically, there's these pigment molecules inside skin that creates a set of colors. Melanosomes are molecules that determine how dark an animal's color is. By studying the melanosomes and pigment molecules of modern creatures, paleontologists are sometimes able to figure out what shades and colors extinct dinosaurs may have been. We have studied what different shapes mean in terms of living animals. So we know that if it's like a round little uh, meatball-shaped melanosome, then it's like a rusty red color. Or if it's a long sausage-shaped melanosome, it means black. And if they're aligned in parallel to each other, maybe it means iridescent black. Then we can look at the melanosomes that are preserved in the fossil record and say, hey, that's the same as like little meatballs. Okay, we have a red color, that kind of thing. This method has given paleontologists new insight into how certain dinos looked. So we have studied, for example, this this flying dinosaur, the Microraptor. It's it's really cool animal. It has wings on its forelimbs, and also its legs are also wings. It's very cool. And uh, studies have shown that this animal was iridescent black. Iridescent means to shimmer or gleam in the light. So Microraptor was black, but it would have appeared to change color if you looked at it from a different angle. But anyways, the color testing that Jingmei is describing, it does have its limits. One hadrosaur has been sampled, and it seems that it was gray. But it was only one specimen, so we know that at least some hadrosaurs were gray. We only know that that one part of the body was gray. We don't know what the whole body was, you know, because we only have part of the skin. So we don't know if all hadrosaurs were gray, but at least one hadrosaur had at least one part of its body that was gray. Even with new fossil evidence of preserved dinosaur colors, the amount paleontologists can know for sure is still limited. But limited evidence is still better than no evidence. Most of the color studies that have been done for fossil animals are from feathered dinosaurs and Mesozoic birds. Oh yes, dinosaurs with feathers. You might not see any feathered dinosaurs in movies like Jurassic Park, but that's science fiction. Feathers are particularly useful in dino coloration. In things like feathers, there's structural colors, which actually have to do with little tiny spaces, little air pockets within the feather that um, basically refract the light and then create these really cool colors like brilliant greens and purples. So the, the colors of a peacock are structural colors. So it's not just the color of the feather itself that matters, but also the empty spaces between feathers. Fossilized feathers show us that some dinosaurs could have been really bright and vivid. Not only that, some dinosaurs were able to use color to blend in with their surroundings. We're actually even able to identify things like crypsis, which is a type of camouflage that allows you to blend in with your background, which is, uh, this has been identified in, I think, an ichthyosaur, which is a marine reptile that basically looks like a dolphin with huge eyes, but it's a reptile. It's also been shown in a little dinosaur called Cetacosaurus. These animals have what's called counter shading, when their bellies are lighter than their backs, which is also a pattern that we see in a lot of living animals. So when it comes to the color of dinosaurs, it seems like we already know so much more than we did several years ago. But according to Jingmei, this kind of study is only getting started. With these color studies, we're really just looking at a a small part of the spectrum. But still, this is very new research and only started, you know, within the past decade. So, you know, who knows what we will 
you know, what new techniques we'll come up with to identify other types of, of fossil color. And who knows what we will know in, in, in another 10 years from now. For Dino Edition, I'm David Ja in Washington, D.C. And I'm Eliana in New York. And I'm Molly in Minneapolis. It's really fun to imagine what dinosaurs look like. And in books and museum exhibits, we often see awesome illustrations of dinosaurs. Up next, a special commentator. An actual museum who did some soul-searching to find out where those terrific drawings of dinosaurs come from. I want to help people learn about how cool dinosaurs are. I'm a museum, and let's be honest, fossilized skeletons are awesome, but sometimes I want to show people more than just bones. So, I have paintings. I have drawings. They show what dinosaurs might have looked like, and I'd never thought to ask where they came from. Until recently. Turns out, the people who make these images, they're paleo artists. They paint and draw prehistoric things, like dinosaurs, but plants and other animals, too. And many of them work very hard to make illustrations that match current science. How do I know? (laughs) I met one of these artists, Emily Willoughby. You might have seen her work in the Field Museum in Chicago. One of the best things about paleoart is to try and present dinosaurs as living animals. Could not agree more. When Emily illustrates a dinosaur, she asks a lot of questions about its life. Was it a predator or an herbivore? Did it live in in social groups, maybe? How did it move its arms and its legs? How did it hold its body? Was it a fast runner? And even what kind of behaviors it might have been engaging in? Fascinating. Emily finds some answers in science papers. As you know, if you've read my very informative plaques and posters, fossilized footprints can tell you whether a dinosaur was hanging out in a group or strolling solo. Fossilized bones and poop can tell you what a dino ate. Those clues from the fossil record are always getting updated. Like, we used to think dinosaurs were only covered in scales, and now we know some had scales, but some had feathers. Fossils sometimes also have color information locked away. But when they don't, Emily thinks about what colors and markings might have helped a dinosaur live its life. I've drawn T-Rex with, like, stripes, like a tiger might have had. We can't be sure the T-Rex had stripes. Stripes might have helped T-Rex stalk prey, the same way tigers use their stripes to stay hidden in tall grass. I'll admit it, sometimes I get bored of my old art and I want some new pictures. So I love that these illustrations often change when paleontologists learn new things about dinos. We've had new discoveries that were just totally unpredictable. Update those colors, update those arms, update the tails. We're learning more about dinosaurs, so keep those pictures coming, Emily. The people want to see dinosaur art, and we're going to show it to them. That was an actual museum telling us where their images of dinosaurs come from. Oh, another update on the mystery sound is coming in. Uh, Before we give you that update, um, let's hear it one more time. All 
right. There's a lot going on in that sound. Eliana, what are your thoughts? Well, actually, um, I think I might change my answer because it sounded like uh, like a food processor. Like it slices the food, like you put the food in mm. it, slices it up. I have one of those at home and my dad always uses it. So it really sounds like one of those. I think I'm going to change my answer. Okay. That is really astute listening. Let's hear the answer. Hi, my name is James and I live in Greensboro, North Carolina. And that was me juicing some carrots and apples in my mom's juicer. She helped me. So it was a juicer. Eliana, you were very close. Yes, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, because you heard that chopping sound at the beginning. So that must have been chopping the carrot or the apple and then putting it in the juicer to turn it into juice. Well, Eliana, it's time to clear the air on something you actually wondered about. That's right. We're covering one of your questions about dinosaurs. If birds did not fart, then did dinosaurs fart? Because birds are related to dinosaurs. It's a great and stinky question. Tell us a little bit about where that question came from. Well, I was listening to your podcast on animal farts, and I heard that you guys said birds didn't fart. And I like to go to the Natural History Museum a lot with my family. And I read that dinosaurs are related to birds. So I came up with this question and put it all together. Very excellent and curious thinking. You traced a fact about birds back to their way back relatives, dinosaurs. Yeah, and that's a big part of how scientists learn about dinosaurs, too. From the Bodily Function Desk, Dino Editions, Manika Wilhelm reports. Let's start with the non-farters. Carnivorous dinosaurs probably didn't fart. Jeff Wilson-Mantia is a curator at the University of Michigan Museum of Paleontology. He says meat-eating dinosaurs probably weren't making toots because they could digest their food without making gas. They would have used their digestive acid to break down food, like birds. Or some of them might have had little stones that helped them grind things up. To find the farts, we have to find the dinosaurs who ate plants, like we do. Because animals like us can't break down plant cell walls or cellulose. We need help. And who helps us? Gut microbes, like bacteria. When they break down stuff you eat, they also make gas that you fart out. Here, I must point out that there are actually some birds that eat plants and fart. There's a thing called a Watson. It's an animal that you find in like Colombia or Venezuela. They're really beautiful looking birds, but they're also called stink birds because they have a smell to them. They eat plants and they have a smell associated with the aromatics that are produced during that process. Ah, aromatics, great word for farts. Back to those plant-eating dinosaurs, like sauropods. Jeff says these dinos ate plants and had big bellies for microbes to hang out in. So they probably were making gas for toots. And um, they would have produced a lot of it. So there you have it. Carnivores, probably no, but herbivores, probably yes. For Dino Edition, I'm Manika Wilhelm in Los Angeles. Toodaloo! Scientists can learn a lot about dinosaurs' lives from fossils. A few dinosaur colors have been preserved in fossils. But scientists also try to understand dinosaurs by thinking about how living animals go about their business. 
Dinosaurs coloring probably would have helped them blend in or find mates. And based on what we know about living plant eaters and meat eaters related to dinosaurs, meat eating dinosaurs probably didn't bark. But plant eating dinosaurs probably did. That's it for this episode of Brains On. It was produced by Manika Wilhelm, Mark Sanchez, Sandon Totten, and Molly Bloom. We had production help from David Ja and Christina Lopez, engineering help from Cameron Wiley, and editing from Phyllis Fletcher. Special thanks to Jenna Hirsch, Farah and Daniela, Nora McInerney, Andy Doucette, Catherine Richard, Stuart Bloom, and Emily Bright. One more update before we go. It's the moment of... How do you make clay for pottery? Essentially, clay is rock that has been decomposed by weather. More specifically, clay is igneous rock, which is formed when molten rock under the Earth's surface solidifies. I am Lauren Sandler, and I am a ceramic artist and educator. Feldspar is one of our most common rock-forming minerals on the Earth. So when feldspar gets weathered, there's a chemical change that happens to feldspar. And, And so what happens is the molecule of water gets chemically bonded to it. And that's actually what turns it into clay. That's what makes it soft and malleable. When we make something with clay, I shape it with my hands and we put it back in the kiln and we put it through that intense process of heat, that chemically bonded water escapes and that material turns back to stone. You know, to, to make it into clay takes, you know, thousands of years and then, you know, hours in a kiln turns it back to stone. Not all clay is the same. Not all clay is workable or best suited for, for example, making pottery. We can find it in many different places. Good places to maybe go explore to see maybe if there's clay is in areas by water, such as lakes and ponds and streams, or even where the earth has been dug up, like in an area where maybe a construction site, where they're digging deep into the earth, there's probably clay under there. And so there's some things you can do to find out if maybe that is workable clay. So what one can do if you're walking by a stream and you're curious, what is this here? Can I make something with this? You can literally like go pick up a little bit of that material that you find by the water and you can roll it up in your hand and see if it actually shapes a ball. Then you can even roll it in between your hands and make a little coil. And that too, oh, if it's holding the shape of a coil, that means there's some fine particles in there. There's some clay in there. And then you can even bend that coil and see how much does it hold its shape or how much does it break. The more it breaks, maybe the more other materials are in there, but the more it holds its shape, that means there's some clay in there. There's some good material there to potentially play with and and shape with. Um, um. This list of names has shaped our show. It's time for the Brains Honor Roll. These are the amazing listeners who share their questions, ideas, mystery sounds, drawings, and high fives with us. 
Eva from Newington, Connecticut, Era and Yulia from Bethesda, Maryland, Gray from Memphis, Tennessee, Brinkley from Spokane, Washington, Brendan from State College, Pennsylvania, Lara from Perth, Australia, Martin and Xavier from Taipei, Taiwan, Clement from Singapore, Isabella and Natalia from San Antonio, Texas, Ishana, Arith and Raya from Toronto, Lola from Ann Arbor, Michigan, Soren from Langley, British Columbia, Lyle from Myerstown, Pennsylvania, Max from Chesapeake, Virginia, Izzy from Kennebuck, Maine, Cooper from Chicago, Sorrel from Nevada City, California, Austin from Perth, Australia, Clara from Grand Ledge, Michigan, Ivy from Alameda, California, Luna from Charlottesville, Virginia, Peter and Luke from Eugene, Oregon, Naomi from Chicago, Kate from Indianapolis, Sutton from Clinton, Mississippi, Chloe and Caitlin from St. Michael, Minnesota, Kylan from Ballarat, Australia, Oscar from Bellingham, Washington, Riley from Birmingham, United Kingdom, Killian from Evanston, Illinois, Jack from Durham, North Carolina, Alex and Lily from Milford, Connecticut, Sophie and Natalie from Mendham, New Jersey, Beatrice, Sam and Eleanor from Kirkland, Washington, Dylan from Denver, Hans from St. Paul, Minnesota, Sophia and Sebastian from Snohomish, Washington, Henry from Wisconsin, Kai from Portland, Oregon, Avery, Jordan and Benjamin from Eastvale, California, Jojo from Santa Clara, California, Aiden from Oakland, California, Mahul from Gravesend, England, Corinne from East Hampton, Massachusetts, Odin from Washougal, Washington, Liam from Mattoon, Illinois, Ezra from Lacombe, Alberta, Makoa and Casey from Santa Monica, California, Jane from Seabrook, Texas, Silas from Dallas, Peter from Wenatchee, Washington, Caroline from Boulder, Colorado, Rex from Woodworth, Louisiana, Cora from Kathmandu, Nepal, Oscar from Prague, Czech Republic, Irene and Adam from Seoul, South Korea, Liza and Kate from Charlotte, North Carolina, Benjamin from Oklahoma City, Violet, Oliver and Virginia from Cypress, Texas, Charlotte from Snohomish, Washington, Ava and Devin from Phoenix, Ben and Megan from Carrollton, Texas, Farah, Eliana and Daniela from New York City, Serafina from Bronx, New York, Andy from Atascadero, California, and Carly, Ellie and Clara from Jacksonville, Florida. Brains On will be back soon with more answers to your questions. Thanks for tuning in. Stick around. Coming up next is Wait, Wait, Don't Smell Me.